Hi everyone, welcome to Whatever episode 12. Uh, this week we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. We've got news from the Flaro universe, uh, costume changes and the like. We've got some uh, interesting Batman uh, uh, casting rumors for The Killing Joke, or rather, confirmed confirmations. And we're probably going to talk a lot about Star Wars, with a whole smattering of other stuff in between. I'm Eddie, and with me is... Matt! Hi. As always. I'm with you as always is Garth. Is that... Yeah. Is that copyrighted? I don't know. <laughs> Let me be frank. Can I still be Garth? Um, so, so shall we get to it? Yeah, let's do some let's do some uh, Flaro stuff, if you will. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a cool post of uh, Stephen Amell with a baseball bat. Um, more importantly, though, the T-shirt that he's wearing uh, with the baseball bat is actually um, the cover of the issue that DC published without the approval of the Comics Code. This is the first time thing for them. Um, this is the issue where they walked in on Speedy shooting drugs. Um, mm -hmm. The the hint, though, that it's believed is being dropped is that we may be seeing um, Hal Jordan in some kind, some kind of capacity uh, coming up. I don't know if it'll be this yep. season or if it'll be, you know, leading into it at the end of the season. Who knows? Um... God damn it, I really want to see Green Lantern, though. Oh, don't you? Don't you? Uh, me too, so bad. Um, so first off, if you're listening to this show, that means there's a decent chance you're a fan of, or at least uh, somewhat uh, um, familiar with, uh, the Green Arrow and the Flash universe. And if so, I would highly suggest you follow Stephen Amell on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, because he posts lots of really interesting stuff, and he does really cool shit for the fans like this. And if this isn't a, a very uh, strong hint towards the Green Lantern being in the Arrow universe, then I would say that at least Amel's sort of uh, effing with the fans and it's totally hilarious. So um, I would check it out. Um, but yeah, I think this goes along. I think we've talked about this in a few episodes now. We're getting a lot of hints inside the show uh, that we're going to see some Hal Jordan action. And uh, now we're getting a few others, you know, outside of the show with Amel dropping a... And, and, you know, he's posing in that picture. That's not exactly like that's his normal mid-swing. So I, I got to say that's a, a, um, a pretty strong hint towards seeing some form of the Green Lantern uh, yeah. coming. Or at least, at the very least, Hal Jordan. At the very least, we're going to see Hal Jordan in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's... Well, I, maybe I don't think. Maybe I just hope that that's, mm. that's where we're going with it. I mean, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, they kind of, they, they've been dropping hints for a while though, since like season two, I think they started talking about Ferris air and things like that. So it'll yeah. be, I'm not counting on it, but I'm hoping for it. Yeah. I, I think, um, certainly if nothing else, it's a cool in universe Easter egg, but if not, uh, um, again, I, I, again, I don't know if this is wishful thinking or if it's just me reading too much into it, but I, I really think that they're getting to, um, Showing us GL some in some capacity in the the Flash and Arrow universe, so couldn't be more excited for that. Assuming it happens ever. Yeah, um, and I don't know if I don't know if I have a link for this, but I'll try and find one so we can put it up. But uh, speaking of, of Arrow, um, I have actually seen uh, some leaked photos of the script for Episode One, mm -hmm. Season Four, Episode One. Uh, it looks like the title for Episode One this season is actually going to be Green Arrow. Yeah. which excites me. Yeah. Um, I, so the, the one of the next things we're going to talk about is the costume leaks. And yeah. That's the Green Arrow costume. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no no hood, no vigilante, no semi-arrow. I think we're really getting to the Green Arrow 
and I really hope it's this snarky uh, bullshitting Green Arrow. But the new costume, I thought originally the sleeveless idea was going to be kind of dumb, but it looks totally badass. So, you know, Justin Hartley pulled it off in Smallville. Yeah, uh, I liked his costume. I thought it was. I thought it was. I didn't like the high tech, you know, you know, expando bow and stuff like that nearly as much. But the yeah. the costume itself, I actually kind of dug. Um, so and 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 Amel's costume was much more. Uh, I don't know, Assassin's Creedish, if you will. It is a little bit so um, more monkish. And and since uh, Oliver Queen originally uh, in the comic book spent a lot of time with monks, things like that, uh, kind of makes sense to go this direction. The um present uh, uh Stephen Amell arrow too sort of fits along with the um you know sort of darker more realistic than than Hartley's does Hartley was was I thought quite a bit more comic-y quite a bit more um you know old generation not old generation but last generation where where the heroes were much more um I'd say brighter you know like this is one of the things we've said we liked a lot about the flashes it, it how they've treated the Flash is a little bit different than how we're getting the rest of the DC universe with sort of uh, making everything more gritty and you a little know, moodier. colorful, moodier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this costume looks awesome, and I can't wait to see what happens in the show and what they do with that because I'm I'm been hoping for everybody's probably been hoping for at this point um, a little less whining and, and a little bit more you know ass kicking, uh, snarky Green Arrow. So yeah. Yeah, um, and I'm going to go ahead and correct myself right now. The link with the photos of the script are up. Actually, Eddie posted that link, not me. So, mm-hmm. good good job, Eddie. Yeah. Um, the other the other costume news, and in, in terms of the, uh, I'll say it again, the Flaro yeah. universe, um, is uh, Grant Gustin's going to get a, a few tweaks to the, the Flash costume for season two, uh, most notably the uh, Flash emblem on his chest. Um, the emblem itself is now going to be white with the gold lightning bolts um, over it, which actually is a... Alright, we'll go back to that in just a second. <laughs> we should find Hold that. that thought. Yeah. When we you know kill that... Somewhere, you little son of a bitch. Yeah, when we kill that thing, we just start over where you started talking about Flaro. Flaro! Yeah. Alright, um... So, other costume news in the Flaro universe. Grant Gustin will be getting changes made to the... Well, he's not getting changes made. The costume is getting changes made to it. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a gold lightning bolt on a white background uh, for the little circular emblem in the uh, on the front of his, his chest piece there. So, um, it's, it's definitely more along the lines of what we're used to seeing in the comic books, uh, which I'm all for. Uh, I'm pretty excited about... Well, I'm excited about The Flash anyway. Yeah. So, um, the the costume changes though I think are going to be for the better. Not that there was anything wrong with the original one, but I I definitely like the fact that they're kind of evolving it as they go along. I like that idea too, and that's actually one of the things I liked about the Green Arrow costume changes as well. Is it seems like they're evolving more towards the comicy or the comic counterparts of the characters, which is awesome. Um, this one too, I really like the costume. It's this. This is a much more subtle costume change in my mind than the um, uh, Stephen Amell Green Arrow costume, um, but it's also totally cool. Anyway, I mean, I've been waiting to see, and I think a lot of people have been waiting to see that that white uh, background under the um, lightning bolt, you know, for the whole season. So, um, 
Of course, com- the the costumes are probably the least of it. I think we're both kind of excited because it looks like we're going to get some really cool shit in the um, next two seasons coming out of uh, Green Arrow and The Flash. So the the costume to me, what's going to complete this costume, and and we're not there yet by any means, but the the in the final couple episodes of the flash season 1 uh you got to see the ring yeah with the costume flying out of it for uh for the reverse flash um i'm kind of hoping he dropped that before he disintegrated i'm kind of hoping that like we this is like an off-screen thing and we're going to get to that in the next season where they're just like oh yeah by the way wells uh we'll take that now you know like that's... yeah that that looks pretty fucking cool. I want. I would like one, please. And that definitely is a callback to the comic books because that's where Barry Allen kept his costume for years. I, I mean, he might yeah. still. I don't even know. Absolutely not surprised in the slightest that it, for the show that they didn't go with the ring or the costume in the ring. Um, but I think that as soon as they did that, my mind immediately said, "Oh, that's how they're going to get it to Barry and make it make some sense." It's future tech, and, and so yeah, I really, really hope we see early on in the next uh, uh, season that the Flash ring, because the Flash ring, I think, is a, a, an iconic piece of the the Flash costume as well. So, yeah, um, that's that that kind of leads into the next thing that we have on the list too, yeah, which is uh, Comic Con, uh, which we talked about some of the stuff last uh, last week. This week we're going to explore a couple of different things, um, one of which we'll get to toward the end of the show because it's going to require a lot of time, but right now, yeah. the the Flash Comic Con trailer, trailer thing, sort of, not, it's not really a trailer because it, they kind of recapped it in the first, it's it's five minutes plus, and the first three and a half minutes approximately were just uh, footage from the, the entire first season, kind of a, a build yeah. up, um, if you will, but then it kind of goes into some weird visual effects the screen goes dark and you start seeing a blue blur race around the city and there's some voiceovers one of which was jay garrick yeah super excited about that me too um and then we're also getting uh vibe i i don't know how strongly this hints at it but i i really think that vibe's coming um you do definitely hear cisco say something like uh what's happening to me like he's all upset about it um and and I, I think we've known for a while he's going to end up being vibe, um, but I think this is probably. I'm pretty sure it's confirmed it's going to happen in this season, and that definitely hits pretty strongly towards it. So, yeah. Uh, so the only the only question is uh, the blue streak. Uh, there's a lot of talk in the in the trailer itself about um, Doctor Zoom, Professor Zoom, Zoom is Professor, coming, Professor Zoom. Um, but we don't know if that's him. And yeah. Eddie and I were talking before we we started recording a little bit, and that. To me, the the blue lightning flashes. Uh, anybody who's listened to this, who's been keeping up with the Flash comics from the New Fifty Two, knows that a future Barry Allen actually came back, and he had a slightly more twisted sense of morals and was willing to kill people, um, not limited to, but including himself. Actually, before everything's all said and done, he was he was going to basically try and erase himself from the future timeline to avoid um, some of the disasters that he felt he'd caused. And I'm not saying that that's where they're going with this, but the visuals definitely lend to something along those lines. And it's definitely um, some one of those things that even if they're not going that direction, and it seems like they're doing that to kind of let the comic book fans know that they're 
they're definitely still trying to write to them, you know. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of, and, and really I'm talking about the last probably minute and a half of the of the, the, the footage here. Um, there's a lot of neat stuff in there. First off, we get a voiceover from Jay Garrick, and I think Jay Garrick says something along the lines of, um, your world is in danger. So I think we're strongly hinting towards the multiverse in some respect here. Um, which makes sense. That that makes sense. How Jay Garrett could exist in in the um, Flash TV universe that we're seeing. Um, so that's really cool um, too. You know, obviously we got the the Jay Garrick helmet um, from the last season. The finale, yeah. The la- the finale of the last season. So um, it looks really like they're going hardcore into the comic book uh, uh, mythos, uh, which I love. Um, because so far they've done a really good job of everything they've touched with that. So and and Jay Garrick is obviously a badass. We know that because Wells literally like, shit his pants right. when, when that like, nope, never through. mind. Yeah, no more plan. Um, and anybody that might not have listened to any of our shows before and, and is wondering who Jay Garrick is, Jay Garrick is the Golden Age uh, version of the Flash. Yep. Um, from the comic book lore, he so, eventually uh, was migrated to Earth Two as part of the Justice Society of America, and so every once in a while, um, Barry Allen and Jay Garrick would cross paths and whatnot. When when events called for both of those universes to collide, yeah. Um, so Jay Garrick looks totally awesome in this. So that's probably one of the raddest things about this uh, um, footage here. Um, the blue streak. So there's lots of different theories about the blue streak. Um, one of the things that's interesting is we can hear a well, uh, Wells voiceover saying something along the lines of, uh, I'm not the thing that you hate, uh, Barry. And that'll give him everything he wants, but he still won't be happy. Yeah. So um, we had a couple of different thoughts. My my original thought was, I'm not the thing that you hate, was referring to Professor Zoom. And Professor Zoom is going to be the, the, the um, really antithesis of, of uh, Barry Allen's Flash. Um, which he is in a lot of the comic continuities, but you know we'll see how it goes in the show. But then when I got over here, Matt mentioned in the newer. Um, so again, if you're not caught up with the Flash, sorry, uh, spoilers. But um, Matt mentioned that um, we get a Barry Allen coming from the future that, like he said, has loose morals and has a blue streak running around the city when he does. Um, and so that became very interesting to me because one of the things he said is, "I'm not the thing that you hate," and I'm wondering if the thing that Barry hates is himself. Um, we saw in the last season, Barry has an opportunity to go back and save his mom and doesn't. And I'm wondering if um, that's one of the things he, you hate. And he actually, or one of the things he hates about himself is that he had that opportunity and didn't take it. And then we see, or we hear him say something like, I should have uh, saved my mom. Yeah, I should have saved my mom um, in the trailer, which now again leads more theory to what Matt was saying um, about that being future Barry. Um, the only thing that uh, I guess some pour some cold water on that fire is I'm pretty sure Professor Zoom is kind of confirmed for this season, but yeah, I'm not not positive. Dude, so. the end of that trailer said Zoom is coming. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so I mean, we know that there's there's, but we don't know necessarily that the blue lightning has anything to do with Zoom either, or if Professor Zoom isn't in fact future Barry. You don't. Yeah, I mean, because but, of this is a, a different adaptation. Obviously, they're not going to follow a, a script. Uh, comic book series and movies would get very boring if they followed the dialogue line Precisely. for line. And, yeah. You know, those See. of us who read comic books weekly would know what was going to happen every time. And I, I don't... It's one of the things I like about the Walking Dead TV series versus the comic book. I love them both. And I love them both because the TV show takes a different path. So Yeah, it's close enough to the... Um, 
book uh, um so you don't feel like that it's you know completely lost the plot uh but uh different enough that it's still interesting to watch even if you've already read it which you know goes to the flash too a lot of the flash mythos is already well established but i love seeing the way that they're doing it um you know certainly the wells take on the whole eddie thon or eobard thon character is uh quite a bit different so yeah um and before we leave the the, the Flash and Arrow universes. One thing that uh, Eddie and I are, are going to be doing with the show um, going forward is is I'm going to actually loan him some of my my back issues of some some comic books, um, the Arrow or the Green Arrow comic books and the Flash comic books particularly, so he can catch up on them. And we're going to be keeping up on those comic books regularly and and kind of do a, a compare contrast, um, you know, analysis on the show, um, you know, which, whichever week they happen to be publishing and stuff like that too. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty well caught up on both. So I just need to get him up to snuff with probably six months worth or so. So we can, we can kind of dive into that. Um, and that'll, that'll lend a little bit more, um, credibility. Well, not credible, not, not that what we're saying is, isn't credible, but it'll make what we're talking about a little bit easier to understand too, as we go forward. Um, in just, just explaining the, the differences between what happens in the comic book, uh, universe versus what happens on the TV show. Yep. So, um, plus it gives me an excuse to read comic books all the time. So, which I can always as, use, sorry, sweetie, I have, I have to do this is for the show. I have to, as, as drunken or high Ezra Miller said, yeah, you know, we, you know, it's just, just a really good excuse to read comics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you even it's understand? The best, it's the best reason. Do you even understand? It's the best reason. I'm going to be throwing that quote out there for probably the next year. <laughs> I love it. I still picture it all the time. Like, it's going to become, a, I think, a meme for me on the in, in, like, my daily life. And everybody else is just going to think I'm an idiot, but whatever. I'll know, I'll know what you mean. Yeah. And I'll laugh. Yeah. All right. So next up, we got a little bit of news from the MCU. Uh, Lady Sif. Um, or rather the actress uh, playing Lady Sif has a little tidbit saying basically she's not allowed to talk about it and they don't really tell her anything because they know she will anyway uh, but she's going to be pretty important in Thor uh, Ragnarok of course the next installment of the Thor movie series I I cannot tell you at this point much of what the Dark World was about I know there was the uh, yeah it had a lot to do with the, with the Infinity Gem because there was the 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 whatever it is the lifeblood the bloodstream well, I don't know the quite honestly whatever whatever that red shit was that the dark elves really wanted <laughs> I think I need to rewatch this uh the aether was that it yeah the aether yeah I need to rewatch thor um but I think it's probably telling that neither one of us really remember it very much at all this um, is this this is one of those things where I don't know if I should be disappointed with me or disappointed in the MCU I'm generally I'm not disappointed with the MCU or anything they do I really love the first thor movie it's not uh, first off, the common criticism is that Thor, the the first movie, is uh, fairly slow paced compared to the rest of the MCU, and it's one of the more forgettable movies of um, the first set. Um, and Thor Ragnarok, I, at the time watching it, I thought it was a little bit better, but you know, like you said, Dark World. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, the Dark World is a lot like, or a lot better in those regards than the um, first movie was. But now that you mentioned that, I really probably couldn't tell you the plot it much at all. So it one one of the phrases you like to use quite often is is uh, do, Dos Ex Machina. Yeah. And the 
both Thor movies kind of serve that purpose a little bit because it was uh, the first movie was to basically to get Thor into the MCU so we could have him involved in the Avengers, which was important because Loki was important. Yeah, and quite honestly, I enjoyed the first movie. I enjoyed Loki in the first movie and in the Avengers. Um, don't have many criticisms about that movie at all. It was a little bit slower, but yeah. I like a good story. In hindsight, actually, I would say it's almost more of a Loki movie than it was a Thor movie in regards to the rest of the MCU. Like, right. I think it was more important for establishing Loki's character than it was Thor's. Thor Thor does get a decent amount of character. I'm sorry, Thor Thor does get good character development in the original movie, um, and it establishes the character fairly well. But looking back on it a little bit, I think it's kind of more about getting Loki that well. Thor was going to be there anyway, but it, it actually, I think, did a better job establishing Loki as a, a, the big villain for uh, uh, Avengers. And and was that because the movie was particularly well-written, or is it because Hiddleston fucking knocked it out of the park? Uh, it's probably Hiddleston more, because, you know, again, the common criticism is that that's the, the weaker from, you know, the rest of the movie standpoint, yeah. so... But again, I enjoyed the first one, um, so hopefully anybody that's listening doesn't think I'm talking shit about it, because I did. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Um the Dark World, though, really hard for me to get into, which is disappointing because I think Hemsworth does a really good job as Thor. Yeah, I do too. Natalie Portman is amazing in everything that I've ever seen her in. Um, I know some people don't like her accent in V for Vendetta, but fuck them, it was a good movie anyway. Yeah, I, I love her V for Vendetta. It's totally a tradition in my house to watch that every 5th of November. So Yeah, and um, so and, and then with The Dark World, I think the main reason for that movie was to get the... Um, the Aether obviously was representative of the the Red Infinity Gem, whichever one that is. I don't remember it, but yeah, um, it. And I didn't honestly even really put that together because I don't even know if they said it in the movie because I I really didn't focus on it nearly as, as much as I should have. But I didn't even put that together until I watched Age of Ultron. So, <laughs> um, it is what it is. But I think Ragnarok actually has everything that it needs to be a really good standalone movie. Um, and what Ragnarok, to my understanding, is is doing is it's going to set up the story for Thor as to why he may not be involved at all in the Infinity Wars Part 1. Hmm. Um, it's my understanding that when the Infinity War starts, Thor will be preoccupied elsewhere in the universe. Obviously, this is not confirmed, because I'm just a guy who likes these movies a lot, but... Yeah, I know nothing. Um... Yeah, I'm excited. I, I, I of course, will. I'm gonna see probably everything that the MCU does from yeah. here until it, it starts to really suck, which doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. But um, yeah, Thor is sort of one of the weaker, I guess, from the standalone stand uh, standpoint. Thor is one of the weaker characters, of which we really don't have a lot. I mean, the standalone movies are what just Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and uh, now Ant Man. Um. Hulk. We had Hulk. Oh, yeah, we did get a Hulk movie. Which, actually, I think we've said this on the show. We could use another Hulk movie. Where the hell is another Hulk movie? I don't know. I don't... Did did we agree on that? <laughs> I kind of feel like Hulk is is a good character, but I kind of think he needs to be with somebody else in order for him to, to come off right. Yeah. Because it's hard for Hulk to be a hero in a standalone movie, because Hulk is a big, destructive fucking machine. and That's a good point. In uh, both of the previous movies, even Angley's Hulk, that's kind of what we saw of him too. Is he's a big, destructive fucking monster until he cares, you know, about basically uh, Betsy, Betty, Betty, Betsy, Betsy, Betty, Betty, yeah. Betty Ross. And I think Betsy Ross. She didn't design a flag. She was the Hulk's girlfriend. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. The Angley movie, though. I mean, really, 
I mean, his his arch nemesis was a fucking mutant poodle or a couple. Yeah. So, um, really, that, that movie had its share of flaws. It's, certainly, the it's one easy that it... to come across as a hero when you're kicking the shit out of a big poodle. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, no, but I, I I think you're you're onto something though, because with the Incredible Hulk with uh, Edward Norton, who I loved as as Bruce Banner, by the way, mm-hmm. um, also like Ruffalo though, so I'm not I'm not complaining. Yeah. Um, is we didn't really have that. We had uh, we had a good. We kind of had a good setup of, of villain type characters with uh, with Thunderbolt Ross, um, and then of course uh, Tim Ross character who evolved into uh, the Abomination. Yeah. Um, and those type of things, but he didn't have anybody to play off of, except for Betty. Yeah. Uh, which Liv Tyler knocked that out of the park too, because I I really enjoyed her performance. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that that movie's sort of like the bastard child of the MCU. Like they don't really talk about it much. They, they don't. They just it kind like of vaguely comes up every now and then. And uh, I kind of like to have been a fly on the wall when Ed Norton and Avi Arad were really arguing about stuff. Yeah, me too. Be interesting to know why why that he wasn't welcome back. Yeah, but again, like 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 we just said, Ruffalo's amazing, and I think probably at this point I, I would consider him to be the the better choice. Yeah, I think so too. Um, maybe that's just because I've seen more of him, but uh, yeah, I really like Ruffalo's Hulk. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so it'll it, Thor Ragnarok. We're looking forward to it. I am anyway. Um, I'm going to actually try and see in the theater, so I have a vested interest to pay attention to the whole thing. Because if I pay 15 bucks to go see it, I'm probably going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to go rewatch The Dark World because I do distinctly remember really liking that movie, but I don't really remember any of the plot points. And maybe that's because I think I only saw it once when it, around the time, probably when it was in the theater. Um, but yeah, I don't really remember a whole lot of it then. Since, yeah. So. Well, and the other the other piece that's interesting to this too is, is if Lady Sif really does have a pivotal part in it, then that means there's probably going to be more Asgardian stuff. And I think that's really what I liked about the first movie is a lot of it was... I think they kind of have to because uh, one of the big... Um, I, uh, Ragnarok dun, 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 doesn't say that. You know, to be continued yeah. part of it was uh, uh, that uh, Loki had taken uh, Odin's place at the end of the um, Dark World. Right. So I, I think we're going to see some more. Definitely, it's going to be more heavily Asgardian kind of, you know, shenanigans. Yeah. Um, and hopefully by the time we sit down and do the next podcast, um, I will have taken my broke ass to see Ant-Man. Eddie has seen it. I have not. So he's being kind enough not to spoil the movie for me. So yeah, um, we Ant-Man won't have dies. the same consideration no, for you when, yeah. once we've both seen it. But uh... <laughs> um. anyway... So yeah, on to uh, on to other other things that aren't involved with the MCU. Joker, Killing Joke, uh, animated. There's going to be two links that you're going to see in the show notes um, if you uh, look at those. The first one is actually about how Mark Hamill wants to voice the Joker in the animated version of the Killing Joke, um, which was apparently uh, an article that was basically written about a tweet that he'd sent out a few years back before this was even announced yeah. that it was going to happen. Uh, we have confirmed, though, uh, or at least other sources have confirmed, and we're taking their word for it, that that's actually happened and his dialogue for The Killing Joke is actually already done. Which, to me, is awesome. I'm super excited for this. Um, and one of the things that's cool about this is that we didn't think we were... Um, I don't know how closely you guys are following this, but we didn't think we were going to get any more Mark Hamill as the Joker. He was originally uh, done after the last Arkham 
uh, installment. I think Arkham City was supposed to be his last reprisal as the Joker, and obviously he didn't play the Joker in Arkham Origins. Um, but we thought we were going to get basically that was it. So uh, seeing him come back as the uh, the Joker and the Killing Joke is the best because uh, Mark Hamill's personally probably my favorite Joker incarnation. Um, is certainly without question my my favorite of the uh, voice uh, acted jokers um, but could almost beat out you know the live action um, either Heath Ledger or um, that other guy Nicholson Nicholson yeah thanks yeah. Uh, could almost beat out the live action versions of the Joker as I, well I'm, I'm, I'm giving Mark Hamill the edge over Nicholson every day of the week yeah. just because he was so fucking cool as the Joker right I, I really um, am excited for this because the killing joke is definitely uh, probably one of the darkest uh, Joker storylines and probably in one of the most Joker centric storylines. Um, so to me, it's a natural fit that they got Mark Hamill to do the, this voice. And I can't wait to see what he does with the role because there's some absolutely badass things that even reading the book the first time, it's Mark Hamill's voice I hear in my head. So. Um, the only thing else I can hope about this is that if it hasn't already been confirmed, but I'm, I'm super hoping that we see Kevin Conroy as Bats in, in the movie, um, or rather hear him. Um, but I'm pretty sure I at least heard a strong rumor that's the case. So it'd be nice to get the band back together as much it's, as possible. It's, for, it's a Bruce Tim thing, right? I think it is. Um, which leaves the only question that I also want to see answered is the animation style they're going to go with this. Yeah. Because... Um, they have done some stuff that uh, I think is, if not inspired by the Bruce Tim universe, comes directly from Bruce Tim. And forgive me for not being up enough on that, but um, but the animation style is a bunch different. Um, you know, like you see in the newer Justice League movies that have come out, it's much more inspired by the New Fifty Two rather than the old um, Timverse animated characters. So I can't wait to see what they're going to do as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, Mark yeah. Hamill. Killing Joke, Joker, absolute win. Must must see. Yeah, I mean, they, they may as well have taken my money already. Yep. So. Yep. Um, yeah, other than... So we got a couple things real quick. Um, while we're on the subject of some Batman stuff, uh, I have been reading um, over the last week or so, uh, when I get a chance, the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns um, collected edition yeah <laughs> um, I, I read the trade paperback myself um so, and they, that's probably the easiest way to read it at this time at yeah because it's so. three or four actual books long yeah um, and when least, i say long i mean it's fucking long it, it's a big story yeah so um i'm about two-thirds of the way through it a uh, little bit a little bit more than the first two parts are done with uh, i think i'm probably 75 percent done with the third book so okay. uh really good story so far uh which i think that that was kind of a no-brainer anyway. I mean, this is obviously not one of those ones that I'm going, hey, you guys have never heard of this. Yeah. Read this. No, everybody's heard of it. I just haven't read I, it I yet. I might have mentioned that he should read it for the last, I don't know, 10 shows or something like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, and on the other on the other end of that too, Eddie has just actually spent the last three days reading Crisis on Infinite Earths, which I read and a few years back. been pushing kind of for me to read too. So, um, so let's go first. Uh Give me your thoughts on The Dark Knight Returns thus far. Um, so, if you're that far along, you should have... In fact, let's just talk about the first half of the story then, which would probably be the Mutant Uprising and how Bats deals with Mutant Uprising and how that goes. Not well. 
I mean, he deals with it well, but he he doesn't yeah, deal with it, it personally. Starts well. off, it starts off. Um, Bruce is kind of in a dark place when it starts off. He hasn't been Batman in quite a while. Gordon is uh, days away from being uh, forcibly retired for, as commissioner. He's like 70 plus in this continuity. Gordon, um, yeah. So let's go back even a little bit further. If you've never read The Dark Knight Returns, or um, this is a, correct me if I'm wrong, Alan Moore? No. Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Yeah, duh. Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's because we were talking about Alan Moore earlier. This is going to be like my thing. Just completely fuck up like two really obvious. Shoot you. Yeah. We've got a dart gun just in case I do something that stupid. Okay, so anyway. Frank Miller's story, um, The Dark Knight Returns, it sort of tells an alternate continuity. Um, we see Batman uh, into retirement, basically. This is a gray-haired uh, Bruce Wayne. Mustached. Mustached Bruce Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's actually sort of a plot point. Really. It is. Um kind of uh you know taken off the cape and uh not really handling it so well i think the story opens with him uh racing in it's probably not formula one but something equally dangerous and you know totally you know looking like he's trying to kill himself basically. actually in the comic book not at all oh really yeah oh i'm thinking of the uh the, the movie the movie yeah cause yeah the movie of course i've seen probably more times he than goes he book. goes a little bit more tony stark in the movie but um no he uh He's actually just uh, has drinks with Gordon occasionally, and other than that, uh, he's at odds with Gordon. Um, what the where where the story actually opens is there's a, a a new shrink that has come to work at Arkham, and he's been working uh, very closely with um, Harvey Dent. Yeah, um, as well as you know progression in, in plastic surgery and stuff like that. What they've they've surgically reconstructed Harvey Dent so he looks like a normal person again. Um, and the psychiatrist is is two hundred percent convinced that he's cured Harvey Dent of his mental illness. Yeah. Um, and so he's actually getting ready to be paroled, which Commissioner Gordon is completely against. And actually, Bruce Wayne isn't. Bruce Wayne is kind of all for the. Uh, he's been at Arkham for a really fucking long time now. There hasn't been any incidences. Uh, we got to take this at face value until it proves otherwise. Kind of a thing. Um. So. Even though they're at odds about that particular subject, though they they they're very much a um, go out for drinks kind of uh, friend friendship yeah. kind of a deal, though. So yeah. um, anyway, uh, it kind of goes it kind of goes back that the um, the shrink that's that's involved with that is kind of an idiot in terms of of how he approaches things. He thinks that Batman is the reason that all these criminally insane people are criminally insane. Um, kind of blames Batman for the psychosis of all of them. Yeah. And um, that's Dan actually kind of a plot point in the whole story, too. And that's yeah. one of the interesting things I thought about the story is that um, they sort of, sort of do those uh, like asides where you're talking to a news anchor or you're seeing news footage. And, um, each of the panels is basically, you know, parts of the news footage. And it's a lot of different talk shows talking about what, what effects Batman's had on society. And you see sort of a. Um, Debates about you know do we need the Batman still? We would like would we like the Batman to come back and help out with the problems that we're dealing with? Which in this storyline is the mutants, which is this new gang of uh, uh, you know troublemakers basically. Um, Only one of which actually is a mutant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or is he the cause of these problems? Is the the Batman's uh, um, sort of escalation of force the reason why we're getting all of these ridiculous criminal criminal groups that we're getting these days. Yeah. So that that's one of my I think favorite parts of the whole story. 
Yeah. It's not just about Bruce wanting to come back or should I or shouldn't I, but it's almost like the whole of society judging should should Batman, you know, be a thing. Well, and this this is this story is interesting too because it's not even that Bruce necessarily wants to still be Batman. Bruce is facing a conflict of of conscience at this point because he honestly feels like Batman is who he is. Like he's not Bruce Wayne, he's Batman and Bruce Wayne happens to be the facade, which is kind of the approach that a lot of more modern Batman stories are taking anyway, but um, Frank Miller, I think, was the first to really tell that story, and the way that he does it is is really kind of... It, 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 he does it well, um, to the point where he is Bruce Wayne, and then he's Bruce Wayne with no mustache again, which Alfred kind of calls him on, and he's like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Um, why, why don't you have a mustache, and why are you scuttling about the Batcave at 2 in the morning? <laughs> um you kind of hinted at it. One of the things I like about this story is that it also kind of hint, uh, um, to me at least, especially reading it, I was like, well, man, Bruce isn't exactly all together there. I mean, he's, like, he's not Bruce. Bruce is almost as crazy. Uh, although in more productive ways than, than a lot of the villains he faces, but he's, he's nearly as crazy as a lot of the villains well, he faces. Well, he doesn't know how to be not Batman. Yeah. He doesn't know how to, how to not be Batman. Um, that's a big part of it. Um, but I think th- there's a lot of things that to me that hint, that uh, Bruce Wayne is not what we would consider normal. Yeah, and um, and this is this is one of those things that I think the animated series actually almost told better than a lot of comic books did. And I'm not talking. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not slamming comic book writers at all in any way, shape, or form because there's been some really good Batman comics too. But one of the things that was really easy to notice in watching the animated series is that Bruce Wayne was only Bruce Wayne, especially in public social events if it meant that he had an opportunity to find out something about something else. Yeah, I like that too. Um, Bruce Bruce Wayne was the mask. In fact, I think that's a scene. It's one of my favorite scenes, actually. Um, in like Batman Beyond or something like that, I think um, uh, McGinnis has to, has to uh, is being confronted by a potentially fake Bruce Wayne, and they're talking about how Bruce even knows it's himself um, talking to himself. And Bruce says, because it, it, Bruce isn't what I call myself in my head, um, which the Frank Miller story does really well, I think, too, it, which just portrays, you know, Bruce Wayne is not the, and this is almost cliche at this point, but Bruce Wayne is the mask. The Batman is not the mask. Bruce Wayne is. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I like this story, though, because as fun as that is from a comic book standpoint, um, we always kind of look at Bruce and I think see he's kind of together and he knows what he's doing and stuff like that. But I think the the Frank Miller Dark Knight Res- or Dark Knight Returns story much more portrays him um, sort of not having it all together and being you know just a little bit crazy, just more productively so. Yeah. Um, the the other noticeable thing about this too is is Eddie drew attention to the the mutant uprising and whatnot. Gotham, where Batman. Um, or the Dark Knight Returns picks up, Gotham is in the worst shape it's ever been in, essentially. Like, crime is... You like you don't go on the streets at night unless you envision yourself wanting to be raped or robbed or both or killed yeah. um, and whatnot. So it's one of those situations where you kind of... You, you, when you're reading it, you're like, man, this is, this is severely fucked up. Yeah, it's dark. <laughs> um, and then it... The point where I'm at now... Um, the mutant uprising has been quelled, but at, at what cost is what basically what the how the news is is portraying it? Because Batman um, made his triumphant return with the help of his new sidekick. Actually, uh, 
uh, sorry, I want to go back a hair. Oh, go ahead. Before, um, this is one of my favorite scenes too, for two reasons. Before the mutant uprising is quelled, obviously by Batman, Batman gets his ass handed to him. Um, by the mutant leader. Yeah, by the mutant leader, which is a great scene. And then, uh, um, because we're not used to seeing the Batman being beaten, and there's a real question up at this point, uh, can the Batman even do it? That's one of the things that I think is central to the early part of the story is, um... Which one of his questions? Yeah, it's Bruce's question, essentially, that you're seeing it, which is, I'm old. Not old, old, but I'm old, you know, can I even still handle this job? And you get, and then you immediately see, um, or not immediately, but fairly early on in the story, you see the mutant leader basically kick Bruce's ass. So, um, that's kind of fun. And then, of course, the, the next fight up where we get to see, uh, the mutant leader get his comeuppance is probably one of my favorite Batman uh, moments like ever yeah um and then we got robin back yeah. sort of um what's her name you probably know better than i do shit um yeah i do <laughs> obviously it's a girl it's a girl so we get a girl robin um and i was just talking about this yesterday with ellie because ellie's my daughter and i was mentioning no we actually do have a girl robin because she was asking me questions about batman of course like you know um you do God, it's well. This is getting cut out. Yeah, yeah. Carrie Kelly. To... Yeah, Carrie Kelly. Kelly. So, um, here's the thing that I thought was kind of almost a little out of place on this, and it's if there's any, if there's any holes in the plot whatsoever, um, with with Frank Miller's story, it's this: Batman is in a dark place when the or Bruce Wayne is in a dark place when the story starts out. Because he quit being Batman. The reason he quit being Batman essentially is because Jason Todd was brutally murdered by the Joker. Yep. And in this timeline, he hung up the cape and cowl after that happened. Yep. So for him to actually go through the process of finding himself again and becoming Batman again and all this, and then some chick who he didn't even handpick, she just made herself a Robin outfit and coincidentally saved his life. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, he's just like, no, Alfred, she's cool. She can be in the cave now. I'm going to train her. See, but this is another thing that I like about this story because I completely agree with you. But I think this is, again, an element of Bruce's psychosis. Like, I think this is another element of, like, this is not something that a sane individual does. I mean, first off, you're fighting the Joker, this crazy guy. You know, we, we've already seen the Jason Todd story in this universe. But we know that these things are capable of happening you know, that danger is always supposed to be there in the comic books. Robin's always supposed to have been able to have been killed. But now we've got confirmation, at least in this um, universe, that the Jason Todd stories happen. Robin has been killed. This sort of uh, boy, uh, um, you know, it's fighting with a kid. Can you imagine, you know, going out and setting up your own superhero outfit and then recruiting your 12-year-old neighbor or something like that to go help you fight hardened criminals? And so I like this element of the story, um, if nothing else, because it sort of shows Bruce is a little fucked up. Like, there's just something a little bit not quite right about his uh, methodology. He is. And the thing the thing that makes this excusable anyway, his his uh, sudden adoption of a new Robin with uh, literally no questions asked, um, she saved his life. And I think even Batman and all of his delusions completely gets that without her showing up when she did there is no more batman yeah so like it literally doesn't matter at this point if she's in the Batcave because if she hadn't been there 
there is no Batcave. Yeah. So, um, and maybe we should probably come back to this when you finish the story because I think this is another theme of the story, which is the um, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say it because uh, I'm not sure how far you've read, but there, I think this ties back in with um, sort of the ending of the book. Um, but by by the time we do this again, I'll I'll have finished it. But um, a couple other key points that have happened. Um, we find out also that literally all the superheroes have gone away. Uh, Hal Jordan has gone out into space, not to return. Yeah, Wonder Woman has gone back to the mascara. Uh, the only one that remains is Superman. Yeah, actually, you do. I think uh, Green Arrow exists, but Green Arrow's lost an arm, and he's not really being Green Arrow anymore. Yeah, and so Superman's role in society is pretty fucking limited at this point too he he kind of works for the government and does what he's told so it it shows superman being a little bit of a watchdog um you know like or essentially being a a heel for the um united states government which sets up an interesting story here and then when you want to hear about all the things i've been talking about as far as like um this inspiring batman versus superman for the last however many episodes this is exactly what I'm talking about, and this is how I could see it being a thing. So yeah, so I we, we'll we'll leave you guys with that for this uh, for the time being. The next time we sit down and and record, we'll have the entire story. Yeah, we'll talk the conclusion and and the real Batman versus Superman part of the Dark Knight Returns. Exactly. Um, next up, we have Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl being completely totally, badass. Yeah, totally badass. Um, so we we talked. Did we talk about him breaking his leg? I don't know if we did talk about him breaking his leg, but uh, if, you, if we didn't, uh, I guess uh, we probably should. And if we have, I guess we're going to repeat ourselves, which probably isn't new. So <laughs> um, Dave Grohl broke his leg at a show. Uh, overseas somewhere, yeah. Yeah, overseas. And he finished the show. Brought brought a, a surgeon or doctor, a doctor of some, some sort, sort on stage and set his leg and, on stage. And he sat down and finished the show Yeah, with his leg in a, in a, in a straight position you know whatever um did cancel the shows after that though um which i mean whatever i forget immediately yeah he he got back on tour pretty quick and now he's rocking around in the foo fighters um um throne the game of thrones the foo fighters inspired guitar game of thrones uh uh you know rig that he's got going on there which is totally badass too so um even even cooler though is he actually brought on stage at a recent uh is this in dc has this happened i I think it did think so yeah so he actually brought his surgeon on stage because his surgeon also happened to be a a musician um and they did a cover of seven nation army live in front of washington dc the last thing (laughs) this is what makes me think we might have talked about this before because i can't and i can't remember if we talked about this specifically on the show but i was watching a video a couple weeks ago um where Dave Grohl had bought a fan on stage. There was a fan in the audience holding up a sign that says, I play drums, can I come help out? It's my birthday, or something like that. And Dave brought him up, and he's like, well, you better not fucking suck, because there's like 10,000 people out there. Um, But he brought him up, they played Big Me, it was totally awesome. The guy on drums nailed it, so, um, yeah. Anyway, it it was really funny, too, because I think in the video, uh, Dave's asking him, and you can hear Dave on mic basically saying, you know Foo Fighters songs? God, I hope so. Um, but do you know Foo Fighter songs? What do you, what what should we play? And I'm sure he says Everlong because Dave's like, no, you fucking idiot, we're not playing that. We're closing the show with that. Nice try, you know. 
That's so anyway, they play Big Me, and it, it goes really well. But um, yeah, Dave Grohl, sort of rock star of the decade right now, I think. Uh, just just proving. Uh, I mean, the the guy just seems like the coolest fucking guy in rock and roll right now. He really does, and I'm not going to read them all right now. Um, but there is inside the link that we posted. Um, there's another link actually that talks about ten reasons why Dave Grohl is the coolest. Yeah, as well. So. Um, check that out because if you're a musician, um, even if you're not a big Foo Fighters fan, you have to respect what Dave Grohl has done with himself uh, since the demise of Nirvana. Yeah, I can totally see how you could not be a big uh, Foo Fighters fan, regardless. Dave Grohl is fucking awesome. Um, yeah, uh, if you're not an Inch Nails fan, chances are good you've heard him because he's played drums for Trent Reznor. Yeah, um, if you like Queens of the Stone Age, which is probably my current favorite band, um, he Dave's did their entire first with tour Queens. with them, didn't he? Uh, not the first, but uh, especially Songs for the Deaf. He recorded drums on Songs right, for right. the Deaf, which is probably one of the penultimate Queen's albums, and then uh, toured with them and you know did that whole, whole shebang. Did so. work on Them Crooked Vultures. Them Crooked Vultures, uh, again, probably one of my favorite things that has happened in the last 10 years. And then he recorded Probot. Probot. Which was a really weird concept. He basically brought in different singers to do all these different fucking like metal songs like and i'm not yeah. talking like metallica i'm talking like black metal shit like yeah um super cool project um not not my favorite thing ever because i'm not super super into metal but not um, that metal no uh but it was it was definitely interesting and and just the fact that he is literally not afraid to be like you know what this is what i want to do yeah and it says something that his band is still together after all these years and he is a little bit of a controlling um, figure, uh, and I think you kind of have to when you're his position. But I remember uh, specifically they were interviewing Taylor Hawkins and um, and Nate Mandel, the mm-hmm. bass player, about um, doing the uh, the double record that they did. Um, in your honor, yeah, in your honor. That's going to be my next. You know, we're talking about eccentric it, Foo Fighters projects. In your honor, disc two is yeah, you know, well, a wild step away from. The the question that was asked is, why did you guys decide to do a double record? And the answer that was given was, Dave came to the studio and says, guess what? We're recording a double record. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, That's a little funny, but I could see it, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but it is what it is. And, that, and the second disc is fucking really good. Yeah. And we got to be honest, uh, taking nothing away from Nate, Taylor Hawkins or Nate Mandel or, 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 you know, Pat Smear or any of the other guys in the Foo Fighters. There would be no Foo Fighters without Dave Grohl. No, the first Foo Fighters album was Dave Grohl. Yeah. There was one dude that came on and I think did a couple guitar tracks and that was it. Yeah. Everything else was Dave. Yeah, but I mean, even now, even now after the, you know, gigantic amount of stardom Foo Fighters have reached, if Dave Grohl left, like, that's the end. It's not like they're going to come back and it's going to be like a tantric story. Like, <laughs> there's not, not going to be Foo Fighters featuring yeah, it's, some it's, Joe Schmo Schmuck from Nowheresville. Or In Excess or, uh, who's the other... There's another really big act. Did NXS do another record? Maybe I'm thinking of Chains. I'm thinking of Alice in Chains. Yeah, Alice in Chains. They, Alice they got in Chains. Um, but I I really don't see that happening. Foo Fighters is, you know, I'd no. say 60% Dave Grohl, even though he's one out of five members of the band. So anyway, uh, enough about Dave Grohl. The last topic we have on the docket for this evening is... Fucking Star Wars. Sorry, yeah. that's going to have to get cut out. But... Star Wars. <laughs> Before we get into Star Wars, because I'm sure that's going to be a big topic, we're going to take a beer break. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Let's talk about Star Wars. Uh, we had to get a we had to get a fresh beer just for this. Um, so one of the things that we completely fucking forgot to talk about last week because we didn't even really look for it was this is the first time Star Wars has been to San Diego Comic Con in Hall H. 
Right. Um, um, and they did so. And and here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell you the end of the story first. And I only know this because um, I listen to Kevin Smith's podcasts, and Kevin Smith does a panel in Hall H every Comic Con. But he uses coarse language, and so what they did after the first couple of years is they started having him go on last in Hall H because that way anybody who was there to see specifically Kevin Smith would stick around, whereas anybody that had like you know kids and shit that they didn't want to listen to swearing and all that kind of stuff would leave. Uh, he kind of got royally fucked this year because they put him on last immediately following the Force Awakens panel. Ouch. And upon exit, the fine folks at Disney slash What Remains of Lucasfilm slash Star Wars invited everybody in Hall H to walk across the courtyard to go see a live performance of the Star Wars orchestra music. <laughs> <laughs> wherein they were given lanyards and lightsaber keychains and this, that, and the other thing, and Kevin Smith really... I haven't listened to the end of the story yet, so I don't know how many people he actually had attend his panel. Um, but he saw them leave, and when you see six and a half thousand people leaving at one time... That's... Like, oh, this is going to be an amazing panel, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that panel, though, what, what they did is they, they did not release a new trailer, um, which is seems to kind of be what people do these days is they go in, there's a trailer and they talk about it for a little while and then they leave. Yeah. We've uh, kind of been talking about said trailers for a couple of episodes now. So yeah. Um, what they did is they actually did, they cut together a behind the scenes, almost documentary. It was not as long as a documentary. It was, it was just a little reel that they, they put together. Um, and we're just going to get this out of the way. One of the things that both of us noticed right off the bat is that the people involved with this project, genuinely look like they're having fun and i did not see that in any of the behind the scenes footage from the prequels now um first off go watch the footage um in fact this is another you know just pause it go watch it right now i can't remember exactly how long it is but i'm sure it's sub 15 minutes uh, i want to say it's like I, don't, five, I don't even think yeah i think it's, like it's i think it's five and a half something. something like that it's not it's not longer than 10 for sure yeah so anyway pause right now go watch the footage come back okay wait all right so um, there's a lot of things that I immediately took away from this, but the first is there seems to be genuine love for the project, which could not be better for us as fans because that I think is really one of, as many things as there were wrong with the prequels that I think is now, especially now that I can see this in a new project was the biggest thing that was missing. Um, there, there's a lot of love from the fans. There's a lot of love from the people making this movie. And there's a lot of respect for what makes Star Wars really good. Um, and so I think Lucas got a little too caught up in the lore and the story history type of shit that's hinted about in, um, the original trilogy when we did the prequel trilogy. And you kind of get lost in the, the, the minutiae, um, quite a lot in the prequel trilogy. And it looks like they're not doing that. Lucas fell victim to the Jurassic Park fallacy. He became so preoccupied with whether or not he could, he didn't stop to think with whether or not he should. Uh, there you go. Um, and that, the, so that, that was said for the production of the movie, uh, in terms of, you know, his direction, the, the way he did the story, the massive amounts of CG, the elements that he thought needed to be there character wise and visually, um, as well. That's going to be the second thing that you probably notice when you watch this is the first thing they actually addressed is practical effects. Like yeah. there was, there, I mean, it was not even a question about it. Like out the gate, they're like, 
look at this. We're using rubber fucking masks. Like, first up, and don't get me wrong, <laughs> those look amazing. But that's a lot of thing. That's one of the things I think that's hugely missing. Um, I constantly see this question pop up, and we may have even talked about it on the show. Jurassic Park, um, the original Jurassic Park made in 1995, has the best looking CG out of all the Jurassic movie Jurassic Park movies, and that's because a lot of people don't realize that. It's not C- it, a lo- quite a lot of it's not CG. Quite a lot of it's practical effects mis- mixed with uh, CG to touch. In fact, a lot of the things that you see that are really well done CGI in, in movies and TV are the things you absolutely don't notice, um, which you know happens a lot for backgrounds and things like that. And it's quite a lot of the reason that uh, the the prequel trilogy feels so sterile because massive, if not most parts of that movie are completely CG and it's in your face about it the entire time. You know, like we have all these big creatures now um, that we're doing in CG because it's supposed to look cooler, but in reality it kind of takes us out of the movie as much as, say, the old um, uh, big monster Luke fights at the beginning of Jedi. The Rancor. The Rancor, yeah. Um, It takes you out of the movie as much as the, you know, Rancor miniature effects does. Uh, a little bit you know but nowadays with the blend of practical effects and cg we can do so some amazing things and so to see that right off of the the bat in this movie um was pretty awesome um secondly because it shows to me i think that they get the what makes star wars feel like star wars yeah so speaking with visual effects and stuff like that there's there's some things in there that I'm really excited about seeing. Um, and I can't really speak to many of them uh, with the with the new movie because obviously we haven't seen it yet. We know, we only know what we've seen from the trailers and stuff like that. And the trailers look fucking badass. There's some shots in this behind-the-scenes footage where you can definitely tell that the TIE fighter that's crashed in the middle of the sand is, is a toy. Yeah. Obviously, it hasn't been touched yet. You know, nothing nothing's been done with that shot as far as the footage that we're seeing. Yeah. Um. But... There's some things that they did, and and you can speak to this probably too, because I'm sure you noticed. If we look at the prequels, they tried like hell to incorporate practical effects with certain things. Yoda was a fucking robot. Like, he was not CG. Well, it depends on what part you're talking about. But, like, this is another thing where... um... Well, in in episode one, Yoda was a robot. He was was completely CG in episodes two and three. Completely. Okay, that, that's what I was just going to go. Okay, we'll go on a bunny trail about Yoda and just, well, actually, let's do it really quick right now. Um, so that's another thing. Like, they, it feels a lot more like the makers of these movies get the storylines a lot better. Um, and, and again, it, they, they stop to think whether or not they should. So let's go back to the original prequel trilogy where we see Yoda turn into a, a shuriken, basically, with lightsabers attached. Um, that's a ninja star for those of you who have wives. Um, uh, that should have never happened. Like, in my opinion, that's not sh- how they should have portrayed the power of Yoda. Like, Yoda's power is not in a physicality. It's in his knowledge of the Force. So, like, if I were going to do that and I wanted to have some really impressive Force scene, I would do something like they did in um, uh, the Force Unleashed video game where uh, Starkiller stops a whole Star Destroyer with the Force. Um, or... Yoda wouldn't have had to ever pick up the lightsaber. Yoda could have just controlled the lightsaber with the Force and shown how badass without ever actually even really getting up. Um, that, to me, would have been a better interpretation or take on the character of why he's so respected and revered amongst the rest of the Jedi. But So I didn't I didn't hate Yoda with the lightsaber. Um, that 
That was just me, though. I mean, and I can see where that would kind of be shit for a lot of a lot of people, but it didn't bother me that much. the The part that bothered me with Yoda specifically, though, was was just how the how they did him with the effects and stuff like that. And that is, he was a fucking stupid looking little robot in Episode One, and then they realized either by the time they did Episode Two, they realized that he looked really fucking stupid in Episode One, or that they needed to make him move anyway. For his lightsaber battle, so they just went ahead and did the CG route. Now he looked better visually the CG route, which normally I don't like. Um, it's just the 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 things that they did that were completely right versus the things that they did were wrong were really weird. The waterfalls on Naboo, mm-hmm. those look like some of the best CG work that you've ever seen, and it's mostly all practical effects. That was actually salt mm-hmm. that was pouring off. Wow. And there was very little CG actually involved. Things like that are awesome. Things like Robot Yoda, not so awesome. Because he shouldn't look like Robot Yoda. He should just look like Yoda. In fact, he should have looked more Yoda-y than he did in Empire because he was older. Yeah. In Empire. Well, I guess that's a good, you know, I mean, the same is true with anything else. Um, Choosing the best tools for the job. I mean, there there are places where CG is really the only way you can do things. And uh, places where practical effects is really the only way you can do things. Oh, well, that's not really true anymore. Anything you can do with practical effects, you can replace with CG. But um, a lot of the complaints about movies these days are that the um, CG overpowers and they probably should mix more with practical effects. So when they're talking about this specifically in this trailer, the feeling that I got watching that part especially was, okay, they really get what makes Star Wars Star Wars and what makes it feel like Star Wars. So more so than any of the, the original or the prequel trilogy, more so than any part of the prequel trilogy or the, even the prequel trilogy as a whole, I felt like I was watching a Star Wars movie watching this five-minute behind-the-scenes more than I did ever watching the prequel yeah, the, series. The overall feeling that I walked away with when I watched that is, well, there was two feelings. There was, man, this really feels like Star Wars. And there was, man, I really wish this was out right now. Oh, yeah. Because I would go fucking stand in line and watch it right now right uh, it was really hard for me actually not to go start standing in line right now um i mean december's not that far away after all so um <laughs> eddie's kind of always wanted to grow a beard anyway so yeah. <laughs> it's fine i guess i'll whore myself for food until then as long as i don't have to get out of line um yeah no it, that man, I, i'm having a, i really really i want I, to spend a lot of time on this but at the same time like i don't know what more can be said besides this fucking feels like Star Wars. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot of things, and what, really what it's going to come down to is sort of a denigration of a lot of the choices that were made in the prequel trilogy. Um, and a lot of the things that they just got wrong about Star Wars. Um, you know, Star Wars, the original, if you go back and watch the, um, you know, 4, 5, and 6, uh, it's really a simple story. It, it's the hero's journey. Um, which, you know, go, go, go Google that. It's a trope. You can, I'm sure you can find it on TV tropes, uh, warning you will get sucked into TV tropes for hours on end. So there you go. Um, but you can find the hero's journey on TV, TV tropes. And that's really all Star Wars is. It's told with a very interesting setting and backdrop and characters who are done really well by their actors and actresses, um, which makes for a really compelling movie. And almost none of that was present in the prequel trilogy. We had long, long scenes about boring bureaucracy things that didn't nobody really cared about. Um, you know, we had continuity errors all over the place. 
Jesus Christ, was there continuity errors? Yeah, I, I, it was just really like a. You you could tell that again a lot of the things that um, you know whoever was in charge of the movie. I, sorry, it's probably George Lucas, but whoever was in charge of the the prequel trilogy just missed about what people loved about Star Wars. So and a little bit too much of a cash in too. Like there there were so many obvious like the whole reason the Gungan race existed was so we can get some fucking new toys. Yeah. Well, and here's here's some other things too, and this is maybe a little bit different perspective on things. I didn't hate the bureaucracy the bureaucracy stuff. I really actually kind of enjoyed the political machinations that went into place to get Palpatine to where he wanted to be. I'll give you that. I that that part I actually felt like was was really enjoyable at least to me because he he very obviously something had to happen to get him in that position of power where he was just able to be like, "You know what?" There is no more Chancellor. There's just me and my empire. Yeah. Um, and he did that. And he did it through political means. Like, everything that he did, basically, to do it was 100% legal from a certain point of view. See, and I I did like those parts, actually, as well, but I just don't think they fit the whole Star Wars universe that we'd seen up until that point very well. Um, I mean, sorry, uh, I, I should say movie universe, because... In the extended universe and expanded universe and games and stuff like that, stuff like this does happen. But up until that point, especially when you look at the Star Wars movies in particular, that to me didn't feel as much like Star Wars. That's that's actually what I was going to ask you. Um, is had you read the I, uh, a lot of the books? I I haven't really. I think I've read a couple, but honestly, I I couldn't tell you which ones or who. I, I read them in high school, so the. Um, because Leia was a senator, basically, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the a lot of the storylines in the books that take place following Jedi things like that actually had to do with her um, and her political standing and and yeah. and whatnot. So to me, the political stuff actually didn't seem that far out of place because I'd read so many of those books before the prequels ever even came out that it was yeah kind of commonplace for me. Um, but that's then again, I'm I'm not the everyday popcorn Star Wars movie fan. Like I'm see, and I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I mean, those like I said, those parts are interesting interesting to me, and I really did like that story. I just I didn't think it felt like the tone of the Star Wars cinematic universe, which I guess is now a thing we should probably separate a little bit um, because the Star Wars cinematic universe is quite a bit different from yeah. The, the books that I read are no longer canon. Yeah. So. Uh, um, so they're drawing a clear line in the sand about some some of that stuff, and I think that's probably the difference in you know, partly philosophy between the the makers of uh, the uh, the Force Awakens and say the the people making the prequel trilogies is it feels to me like they're really trying to go back more towards the um, original trilogy feeling, and kind of forget all the stuff that happened in between as much as possible. Yeah, I mean most of the books that they wrote or that were written. Uh, all took place following Jedi. Um, no, no, aside from like the Lando Calrissian trilogy and the, uh, um, Han Solo trilogy, things like that. Like none of the books really actually had anything to do with anything that happened before we get to where we are in episode four. Yeah. And I think that was probably, I don't, and I'm just, this is conjecture. So don't, don't hold me to it. But I think when Lucasfilm probably authorized those books and accepted them as canon, it was probably one of those things where they're like, "You, you can't, you can't do anything from 
before because we're going to do that still. Yeah. Um, so they were able to do that without having to worry about anything that happened in the, in the books in the future or anything like that. Um, cause they had a clean slate essentially. Um, I think Disney had to draw a line in the sand when it came to the books because there were so many fucking books. I mean, we've got books that span like 30, 40 years out from Jedi and there's a lot of story. Um, for them, now. for them to try and make a movie, they, it, I mean, essentially they were boxed into a corner where either they had to make a movie that was already written in a book somewhere and then hope they did it right because, fuck, if you did the Thrawn trilogy and you did it wrong, yeah, you, there's no recovery from that. I mean, after the prequels, you go into doing something else completely wrong, you're done. Yeah. So, um, they, they kind of had to do what they did and that is, okay, these stories were good and they are what they are. But they're not an extension of this story. So. See, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here, but I think there's generally two types of nerds when it comes to Star Wars. Um, and one of them, I think, is really interested in all the backstory and lore and stuff like that surrounds Star Wars. And one of them is really interested in sort of the main story, which in themselves, like I said before, with the Hero's Journey, are, are sort of simple stories. Uh, but I think we can see from at least what we've seen so far, and I could be totally wrong, maybe we spend the first 45 minutes... Uh, um, and a Senate delegation discussing new legis- legislature or something like that. But um, <laughs> I don't get that impression. I don't get that saying. impression. But it seems to me like the, the uh, um, this set of stories is going to be much more focused on the story elements. And we see a cool backdrop around those things. We hear interesting things around those things. But those aren't focus points. Like even in the original trilogy, the Force certainly takes up a big part of it. But it's kind of just cool lore that, that they don't spend a whole ton of time on in and of itself. Um, they introduce enough of it. I mean, it's just kind of good storytelling. They introduce enough of it so you understand it. Um, they don't go too far. The prequel trilogy goes too far. That's how we get fucking midichlorians. Like, the prequel trilogy spends too much time focusing on the lore that is not center to the story. Midichlorians that are basically your stepping stones to get to Immaculate Conception. Like, he... Anakin was Jesus. Like, anybody that doesn't pick up on that. Oh, yeah. That, again, another, you know, just why does this plot point exist? Sort of, you know, this doesn't really make a lot of sense in the Star Wars. As if the Bible's not ridiculous enough, then you gotta try and, you know, take parts of it and put it in Star Wars. (laughs) So, actually, um, done well, that wouldn't have bothered me too much because uh, there's a lot of common tropes in the Bible. And you can, you know, look at it either way. Maybe they come from the Bible. Maybe the tropes are tropes because they're from the Bible or vice versa. But uh, done well, they're not too bad. But here, here we took, this was a little too far. Um, so, yeah, at least no, for my, my taste. I actually, um, I had some friends that were pretty hardline Christian when the, when the prequels came out and they saw episode one. They were pretty disgusted because they, <laughs> they thought it was trampling on their on their deal. Yeah, I could see that. Which, I mean... Whatever. I thought it was stupid, but not because of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, just so we're following along at home, everybody in the theater was like, well, that's bullshit. Yeah. All for different reasons, but yeah. For completely different reasons, but you we know, agree. Lucasfilm was able to offend literally everybody yeah. <laughs> with that one thing. Like, the only thing they could have done more offensive is to make a racist joke during that whole thing. Yeah. Which I think they did five seconds later when you get the uh, Jewy, um, uh, flying bug thing with the giant nose that's oh Waldo, yeah yeah, yeah. if i, I mean uh, I, he I, was I, kind of a big racist joke wasn't he yeah 
And then you get a little even further with the whole Gungan and, and uh, Misa's so, you know, racially insensitive. <laughs> Misa talked like a slave. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is really, maybe we should just do a Star Wars show. I think we're going to have to do a Star Wars show. Probably, um, at some point. Um, Luna the Canine Crusader thinks so. She agrees, yeah. Um... So, yeah, go watch the fucking behind-the-scenes deal, uh, because it, like, if if you don't come away feeling like like you've been vindicated for the prequels, then you're watching it wrong. Yeah, see, first off, you're a nerd, you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you have some personal connection with Star Wars and have had for some time. Um, so, you're going to get a lot of things just watching this behind-the-scenes thing, I think, from that. Um, but even if you're not, and again, this is another good part about telling a good story. Star Wars is a gigantic fucking deal, in spite of the fact that it sort of follows an obviously nerdy thing. And especially not now, uh, then. Go back to the 70s when Star Wars came out, and early 80s when Star Wars came out. And the nerdy shit that we're into today was not nearly as accepted uh, mainstream, you know, as it is now. Um but I think this this trailer and this behind-the-scenes thing is really highlighting, you know, if you tell a good story, none of that really matters. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to look at it from this perspective. George Lucas made episode four. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to backtrack a minute. There's conflicting reports. Some people say that he had the whole story written the whole time. Other people say he had... Which means a, it's probably somewhere in between. Skeleton of the story. But basically... He went with episode four because he didn't get very much feedback from the studio. Well, he got a lot of feedback from the studio. Not much positive feedback from the studio. Like, he was given very little budget and whatnot to make his movie with. And so he had to make a movie that was kind of a standalone movie in case they didn't let him do anymore. Yeah. Um, And uh, so we picked episode four. And fuck. That was 1977 when that movie came out. It's now 2015, and we are still Star Wars fans. Oh yeah. So it stands. It stands the test of time. There's a lot of things out there that don't. Um, it stands the test of time, in spite of the things that date it. Um, so you know, Star Wars and all the effects and stuff like that are the most obvious dating factors uh, um, of those movies. Watching them now, the effects are terrible. We we love them. Don't get me wrong, we love them, but the effects are terrible. Brilliant for their day, but compared to what we can do today, yeah. Who'd have who'd have thought about putting Vaseline underneath a land speeder? Yeah, uh, <laughs> but for today, they're not. You know, they're not what we consider great effects, but we love them. And this is exactly one of the things I love about this trailer. They're going with effects that feel more like Star Wars, probably a classed up version of what they were doing back in the seventies, um, or not classed up, but more advanced version of what they were doing in the seventies. But they're going with the same methodology, so it's it feels like the same universe of movies, which. You know, again, just can't get enough of. So, so, what do you want to see out of the Force Awakens? Oh God, that's ridiculously hard. First off, I'm loving the giant set pieces that we get hints of in the trailer. Um, so, Star Destroyer. Yeah, the Star Destroyer and the backdrop, just amazing. Um, and as much as I'm excited for them to get off to other planets and stuff like that, the desert feel. Uh, um, back in Star Wars is another thing that I love. You know, again, it, 
it's uh you know it was probably a budgetary constraint in the first movie we can shoot in the desert in you know madagascar or wherever the fuck they shot tunisia tunisia for super cheap cheap um but you know going compared to the prequel trilogies where we can con- construct coruscant in uh you know a computer i like the way the desert feels the desert know? the desert definitely feels like star wars to me like every time i see like the big like dunes and stuff like that and it's like i there's two lines of dialogue that i hear and that is i was born here you know yeah you're gonna die here you know yeah like just yep and we probably are like as as star wars fans like we probably we were born in the desert and that's probably where we're gonna die i just yeah i I mean if, if there's anything right with cinema like that's where the final movie will be at least if they do like just complete seven eight and nine and then call it a day for the the actual saga yeah um as i understand it they're planning on doing standalone movies which is totally fine with me um totally but see and i think the standalone movies are a good place to do some of those nerdier lore bits that um the darth maul thing yeah um so anyway uh what else do i want to see in the movie uh again in the voiceover we hear luke's uh uh talking and i'd like to know you know sort of what happens who he's talking to for sure who he's talking to. I mean, that's the obvious one. But what happens with Luke and Leia and, and things like that after the um, last movie, which, you know, there's no way we're not going to get. But I also don't want that to be the focus of the movie. I want that to be a part of the movie, but I don't want that to be the story. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I think as fans, we're, we're comfortable enough letting them take us for that ride without having to know exactly where we came from. Because, I mean, we know where we came from in Jedi. Yeah. Um, but we don't necessarily have to know how we're getting to where we're getting. Um, yeah. Bits and pieces, yeah. yeah. But I don't need like 15 minutes, 20 minutes worth of flashback or anything like that for sure. Right. Um, See, so. like, there, there again, you go with something that I think that would have been completely different compared to the way the prequels were made. Is it would have been, you know, 25 minutes of exposition, probably talking directly to the camera. Yeah. About how we got to where we are. Um, and then finally, I want to see new stuff. Um, and I don't want to see radically new stuff, but I want to see some new stuff. Um, we don't need, you know, more lore about lightsabers or something like that. That's the other thing, though, that I was not, not lightsabers. The stuff, like the tech stuff that we've seen so far, which granted hasn't been much. Yeah. This looks like a natural progression from where we were in the original trilogy. Right. This does not look like some radical new design that they threw in the prequels and made up some bullshit reason as to why in the future it looks shittier yeah see that's one of the things that's really fucked up about the the prequels is it seems like technology regresses a few millennia um between the prequels and then like 10 years later when the original trilogy takes place which again don't pay too much attention to the lore 17 17 years later yeah 17 years later in which um somehow uh um ewan mcgregor turns into alec guinness uh yeah which uh hey I fucking loved Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan. He was I, one of the one of the shining yeah. stars to that that prequel trilogy. But absolutely, don't get me wrong. Ewan McGregor totally awesome. Uh, Alec Guinness totally awesome. It's just they fucked up the timeline, like quite obviously. Don't seem to remember owning any droids. Fuck off, you do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, bitch. We hung out like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like R two's like what? He's gonna pretend you don't know me now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's just part of that continuity shit that Luke has got wrong in the prequels. Yeah. Um. Go and ahead, explain it away. Somebody's gonna do it. the the other the The other piece that fucking pisses me off is, like, the main skeleton to the Death Star was there at the end of Episode Three. Yeah, and it took him seventeen years to finish it. 
Actually, that part I buy. Except for the fact that... Except for the fact that it only took him like three to, to finish the next yeah. one. I mean, it wasn't to totally done, but it had Same a fully operational progress. cannon. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many lore things wrong with the trilogies. So that, I guess that's another thing if you want to say, I, I want to see from that. Um, I'd be fine with them near enough ignoring the prequel trilogy. Obviously, I'm not a big fan. Um, there are certain bones of the story, but they're also sort of the bones of the stories that we got from 4, 5, and 6. Um, so I'd be fairly fine with them ignoring that, but I would like to see them pay more attention. And I really don't think this is going to be a problem, at least based on a little bit we've seen, but I, I would really like to see them pay more attention to, uh, well, everything, uh, continuity wise, um, compared to the prequels and the, uh, split between the original trilogy. I think what I'm looking forward to to seeing is if they do shitty screen wipes for twin scenes. Oh God, there's no way they and, can't. And with the little ditties that you know, the orchestra does, you know, with the music and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I'll give that right now. I'll tell you, they're going to do that. No question. There's no, it's not even Star Wars without every piece of media I've ever seen, whether it's the Clone Wars cartoons or the, the new, um, forget what the fuck it's called, but the Rebel show, Rebel Alliance show or something like that, or games, um, e- everything from TIE Fighter on 64 up has gotten that at least right. Um, so there's no way, I, I'm, I'm sure there's no way they will fuck that up, but, you know, I've been wrong about this thing before, so. <laughs> I remember being excited for episode one. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> being excited for episode one, waiting in line, like, long amounts of time. I remember being excited. from the screen, because we, we still got shitty seats. I remember being excited for episode one, and then I remember being excited for episode two, because I was like, well, it can't be as bad as the last one. Yeah. And then Whoops. I saw Hayden Christensen. Yeah. God, it reminds me of that part of Clerks 2 when they're arguing about the Lord of the Rings trilogy versus the Star Wars. <laughs> and Randall totally takes the Star Wars side, which I'm no, like, normally I'm like, yeah, yeah, bitch, Star Wars all the way. But then, like, they start going into the Anakin in a shitty act, and I'm like, well, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> Such a perfectly Kevin Smith thing to do, too. Yeah, um, this is interesting too. Uh, if you guys want to go, we're not going to post a link because it's dumb and I don't want to look for it. But um, if you if you want to see something, like look up the uh, like the ten worst casting choices, and Anakin Skywalker appears twice for Hayden Christensen and Jake Lloyd both, and they're both shitting for the same reason: stiff fucking acting. Like they can't act. Well, yeah. they can't act. <laughs> I, I would have forgiven Jake Lloyd. I mean, Jake Lloyd was a kid. Kid actors aren't exactly known for their brilliant acting skills. Not always. There are some really good kid actors that surprise you. Um, but generally speaking, I expect kid actors to not really be that great. But Hayden Christensen, man, that that was some wooden acting. Dude, he had he had the chance to be yeah. Anakin Skywalker. And he just fucking dropped the ball. It, well, I mean, part of part of it is purely like a okay. He, so he's not a great actor, but the other part too is he he had some of the worst lines to deliver in the history of cinema. So, dude, that's when you ad lib, man. And I don't give a fuck who's sitting behind the director's chair. Like, you get the chance to be Anakin Skywalker, you throw everything you can into being Anakin Skywalker because if you take Episode One all the way through Episode Six and you watch that that whole saga. That fucking whole series of movies is about you. Yeah, you know what actually kind of pisses me off more than, now that I think about it? We're not going to get that story done. 
or at least we're not for like 20 years. Maybe they'll reboot it in 20 years, but that's one of the ones that I don't know if they'll ever get away with a reboot on. Uh, I got a good friend that when Disney first bought all of Lucasfilm, he was really hoping that they would just ditch the prequels prequels and reboot them. Like, keep the original three and just reboot the prequels. Once again, I I would not have a problem with that, but I'm just saying, like, I have a hard time seeing that happening in reality. I, They're probably contractually obligated not to. Like, part of the sale probably depended on their leaving the originals (laughs) intact. Well, see, and that would be horribly ironic if so, because we know Lucas has no uh, qualms about going back and changing his movies, so. Which is retarded. Yeah, that's another thing that pisses me off. Handshot first. Yeah, we we could do an entire episode on who fucking shot first, but yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so we got anything? Uh, we got anything else we want to talk about Star Wars? Um, I don't know anything about Star Wars. I am gonna go ahead and say this: we were supposed to record this podcast Saturday night. As we as we record this right now, it is actually Monday night, so two days later. Um, and Eddie, for whatever reason, couldn't make it on Saturday, uh, and that was actually to his detriment because uh, our buddy Bryce. Uh, who you will hear from soon when I post our our bonus episode. Um, that was just me and him talking about baseball. So most of you listening probably don't care. But <laughs> anyway, um, Bryce brought over $60 worth of beer. And that $60 worth of beer consisted of four 22-ounce bombers and two 12-ounce bottles. 60 bucks. God damn. One of those 12-ounce bottles was 15 You know, I love my kids, but... There are definitely nice things about not having kids. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a Brew Dogs uh, Psycho Cocoa Stout that he brought over that was like a fifteen dollar twelve ounce bottle. Um, fucking delicious. Okay. Anyway, we drank a lot of good beer that night. Daddy missed out Aww. because he didn't show up. That's yeah. the moral of that story. Um, oh, and also there was something you tweeted about that I was supposed to ask you about. Oh yeah, your blackberries. Oh yeah. Um, I, so... I, I promised everybody that follows our Twitter that we would tell the story, so we're gonna tell the story. There's not really much of the story. It's not a story. I just... the, the story is, I'm shitty at doing yard work, and when I finally got around to it uh, this week, um, it had be basically become a jungle. Like, I really wish I would have had a machete, because that might have been a more efficient way to remove, the, especially the blackberry bushes. We have, on the backside of our house, there's a fence, and there's uh, these blackberry bushes, which I've been unsuccessfully fighting for the last couple of years, because blackberry bushes are just dickholes. I mean, the berries taste great, but the, the bushes themselves fucking suck. Um, so I got ate to shit by blackberry bushes. I have scratches all over my legs because that's another genius move. Did it in shorts. Remove blackberry bushes or going through the backyard taking out blackberry bushes in shorts. Um, yeah, it didn't go so hot. That's the short of it. I got scratches all over my arms and legs and uh, I'm kind of an idiot because I probably should have went out there in like a full bodysuit. But also, uh, I don't know. I guess there's that one tiny little evidence of my manly pride that, nope, I got this shit and just went for it. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. So that's the story. I promised everybody on Twitter that we would talk about it, and we did. Tell your friends. Amazing, wasn't it? (laughs) Um, So anyway, um, yeah, that's that's show for night. Make sure you keep listening though, because we do have other projects we're working on. No details right now, because that would be telling, and we don't do that. Yeah, Um, there should be, especially for comic fans, there should be some cool shit down the road. Um, The other thing I want to say is. The best thing you could do for us right now is rate us on iTunes and tell your friends about us. Um, you could also interact with us via the multiple different social media bullshit we're on. So you can tweet us at whatever you show. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash whatever you show. Email us questions at whatever.co. Right. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Stitcher's uh, new. We're 
we we weren't on Stitcher last time we we recorded, so no. that's brand new. I put us on Stitcher, even though I'm not sure if I like their business model, but whatever. If you want to listen on Stitcher, we're there. We're, we we want you to hear our shit, so uh, you can listen on Stitcher, and uh, we've got a website, whatevery.co, if you want to go straight to the store, so you can pick up our feed from there as well, if you have your own podcast client of choice. Um, More importantly, we want other people to give us money to talk about cool shit. So uh, that I'm going to, I've got a couple <laughs> things we're going to talk about after the show, but hopefully sometime soon we'll have whatever stickers for your listening pleasure. And I'm probably going to set up a Patreon just in case you would like us to kick us some money. Um, right now, I think we're pretty much decided that any money going into the show, at least for the you know short term future is going to be put towards better equipment. So we sound nicer and, uh, um, treat your eardrums a little bit better. Um, but for now, yeah. And it, like I said, rate us on iTunes or share us with your friends. Um, that helps us out a ton. Yeah. All right. Thanks. I everyone. want Reebok money, bitches. Yeah. No, Reebok money helps too. <laughs> if you know Reebok and they need some very sexy sponsors of shoes, um, uh, we could use new shoes too. Why the fuck do I pick Reebok every time? That's just <laughs> that scene from Wayne's World where he's just sitting there decked out in like all the Reebok, Reebok gear. gear. Yeah. See, I that's... keep thinking of Mean Girls. I'm like, stop talking about Reebok. Reebok's not, or stop trying to make Reebok a thing. Reebok's never going to be a thing. <laughs> All right. Good night. Uh, Keep being nerdy. Later, folks.